This is Doty Land. Conversations from the Madison Isthmus. Here is Gregory Humphrey. Well, hello there, and welcome to another podcast from the Madison Isthmus. Today we are experiencing what we call a January thaw, temperatures in the 40s. This reminds me when I was a boy back home, and there would be those places underneath a tree where the snow would not accumulate as high. And on days like this, there would be a little patch of ground that would start thawing and melting. And we would watch to see how far the melting would go. We've got a fantastic show for you today. A film producer and director. And it's a conversation you'll want to hear. That's coming up after this. All right, quiet on the set. Camera speed. Sound production, take one. Well, I have my cup of coffee, and I'm very excited to be talking with a director and producer of a film about compassion between enemies on the battlefield of war. So I would like to welcome to the virtual roundtable at Doty Land at this time, Stephanie Manassas. Thank you, Greg, for having me on air. It's so nice to have you here, and I think I'd like to talk about your film project and put it in connection with the headlines of the day. Locally, we know some artists that have not been able to have their shows because the pandemic has limited the openings that they had hoped to have. And likewise, with some musicians and singers, they haven't had the venues available to them or the crowds that they would like to have to showcase their music. I'm wondering in this time of pandemic if the project that you are working on, this film, has been impacted negatively in any way due to the pandemic. Well, great. It's been impacted a little bit, but not a lot, thankfully. I finished my filming for the documentary in 2019, a few months before the pandemic started, which I was very grateful for. The first year of the pandemic, I would say my fundraising efforts were not quite as strong as they normally are. And that's probably because of the uncertainty and some of the groups that were donating money weren't sure what they were going to be doing with their donations. So it slowed down my fundraising a little bit, but all of the work that I have to do since then is work that can be done in a studio room for writing a script or editing. Well, that sounds fantastic, and I'm so glad that you're marshalling forward with this project, which we're going to talk about today, and which I really hope that when it is done, my listeners will uh, consider uh, viewing, because I think it's going to be a very compelling project when it's done. Knowing what it is about, I'd like you now to tell our listeners what it is about. What are you presenting in your documentary? It's a 26-minute documentary short, and it's about compassion on the battlefield, Specifically, we're looking at compassion on the battlefield during World War II, and we're looking at, in the documentary, two, two acts of compassion between enemies on the battlefield and two acts of compassion between comrades on the battlefield. What prompted your interest in this general idea that you've just talked about? What opened your eyes to say, hey, this is a topic not only that interests me, but that I think will also be of an interest to people who view a documentary? It actually started in the 1990s. I was living in Wisconsin, not too far from where you live, and I had the idea, or actually I heard two stories of compassion between enemies during World War II from some friends, and I had the idea of writing a book about several stories of compassion between enemies in World War II, and then flash forward several years later, I was living in Idaho, and a friend asked me where I was in the project, and I had not started it at all, because I always have so many creative ideas, it's hard to follow through on them, 
And this was back in about 2009 and 10, and I thought I needed to get started on it if I wanted to do it. And then I had a good friend whose daughter is very intuitive, and she said to me, Stephanie, I see you making a documentary. And I was pretty shocked because I had never made a documentary before. However, I'm used to doing things out of my comfort zone. And after reflecting on it for about a year or two, I decided to make a documentary instead of writing a book. And that's when I decided to dive into this project. You mentioned that you have a number of different interests that you have and different outlets for your creativity. And just in a broad sense, maybe you could describe why do you feel you need to be creative? It's for me, it's a connection with the divine. So when I'm creative, I feel like I am basically channeling energy from a higher source. It helps me feel very grounded and connected to spirit. And that's why I feel the need to be creative. It keeps me balanced and grounded in my life. As with any project of this type, there has to be a script. And it seems to me, as one who really does enjoy watching documentary films, that a script writer might even be more important in a documentary than in a film. And I say that because in a documentary, it seems the script is more tightly constructed. Each word has to matter. So I'm not sure where you are in terms of the script portion of your film, but if you could describe a little bit about where you are with that project, and then also how do you score or evaluate whether a script is as you wish it to be, so that every word conveys exactly what you want to have the viewer to discern. Yes, the script actually, all of my DP's director of photography have been from outside of the Fargo, North Dakota area. However, I found a really talented scriptwriter in Fargo who's gotten a few Emmy Awards, and I decided to hire him. Now, while I'm a writer myself, I've never written a script. So what I also did is I not only hired a scriptwriter in Fargo, but I found a nationally known story consultant out of Los Angeles who specializes just in documentaries. And so when I had the script written by Jim Kerwin, is the name of the gentleman who wrote my script, I had the story consultant review it, and she said to me, Stephanie, this is moving and very good. So it really helped me gain confidence in the script since I was new to the area of writing a script for a documentary. And we're actually in the second round of revisions for the script right now and getting ready to move to a rough cut. How does somebody venture out and find the scriptwriter or the consultant, do they have a directory or do you hear from word of mouth or just within the filmmaking industry? How do you come in touch with these people that you've just spoke of? Well, Karen Ebert, who is a story consultant, I found through an organization out of New York City that's called Women Making Films. So I got her name from them, which was an excellent source. And then the scriptwriter here, I was blessed to find a wonderful film studio in Fargo who did my three-minute trailer on my website about four years ago for raising money. And they did a wonderful job. And that's how I got exposed to the scriptwriter and decided to hire him for the final project. Listening to you now and knowing you for a number of years, you always have a very articulate nature and you're a great conversationalist. So the obvious question that I have in regards to this film, are you going to narrate it? No, I am not. (laughs) Um, I'm actually going to take a traditional perspective, Greg, and have a man narrate it with a deeper voice. 
Um, but no, thank you for that compliment. I will not narrate it. I don't have the expertise. I do have to ask, and I'd like you to throw out, you mentioned a little bit about fundraising a couple of minutes ago. Um, as we're venturing into this topic, if people are interested and they want to contribute and to weigh in financially to uh, move this project along, um, we're going to, first of all, have uh, the way to do that uh, online, which can be found on the Doty Land Facebook page. But for right now with our audience, what can you tell us about how they can contribute? If they'd like to contribute, they can go to my website. The name of my film production business is Zen Lily. So the website is Z-E-N, as in the word Zen, and then Lily, like the flower, L-I-L-Y, films with an S, dot com. So again, it's ZenLilyFilms.com. Well, fantastic. And I would urge my listeners and those who support fine films and uh, this type of involvement with people with creative interests to contribute and look into this project. Um, I think it's a worthy cause myself. We chatted leading up to our conversation today, Stephanie, about something that I find really interesting. And I'd like you to give some background into how you discovered the name of a World War II German veteran who saved the lives of several Americans. And not only does this sound like a great story historically and within the confines of your documentary, but it also sounds like a great detective story. How did you do the legwork, if you will, to locate this individual? I'd be happy to share. It's a little bit of a long story, Gray. Go for it. Okay, so what happened is I have a veteran who's still alive in Fargo, North Dakota. He's 97 years old. And he and a group of fellow Americans were trapped in a house in the Battle of the Bulge and surrounded by Germans. And what happened is the Germans yelled to them in the house in German to come out of the house. And Dr. Bonnemeyer, my veteran, knew German. He had all of the Americans come out of the house. And the German that had called them to come out of the house was on a tank. And he told them to line up against the house. And he brought down his gun. He was clearly getting ready to shoot and kill them. This is the same day of the Malmody massacre where 84 Americans were killed about five miles away instead of being taken POW prisoner. So as this German got ready to kill all of the Americans against the wall of this house, an 18-year-old German corporal ran up in front of the tank, waved his hands and said, stop, you must take them as POWs. So this happened in December of 1944 in the Battle of the Bulge. Well, flash forward in 1990s, actually it was 1989, there was a picture in Dr. Bonnemeyer's division newspaper of this 18-year-old leading a group of Americans down a road to become POWs. And Dr. Bonnemeyer recognized himself and his best friend, Al Rosowski, in the photograph, and he recognized the man in the photograph as being the man that saved his life. So this was very interesting to Dr. Bonnemeyer. Well, about three, four years ago, Dr. Bonnemeyer's son, David Bonnemeyer, who lives in California, flew out to Belgium and met a tour guide there and showed them the photograph of this German man leading these Americans down the path to become POWs. And the, the uh, guide said, I know who that German is. It's Walt Whitlinger. 
And he said what had happened is Walt Whitlinger had saved all these American lives and had actually been in contact with a few of the Americans in the photograph that he had saved to help, help them be POWs instead of getting killed. So we had an address of Walt Whitlinger from 1989 when it was West Germany before the wall came down. And so what we're now doing is we're trying to track him down in Germany. We have an address. We found out that in the town where he lives, the mayor of the town has the same last name, Whitlinger. And so one of my good friends who lives in Switzerland, her son's girlfriend is German, and she was in the midst of trying to get a hold of the mayor to find out is he related to Walt Whitlinger or who is Walt Whitlinger and who is his family. Uh, Walt Whitlinger would be 95 right now if he were alive, so I'm anticipating that he's not alive, but I'm trusting or hoping that he has children that might still be alive, and then what I would like to do is have a Zoom call with his family and Dr. Bonnemeyer in Fargo, North Dakota for the two to connect. Wow. Now that is a real historical detective story. Fantastic. And I really hope the best for finding what you're looking for. And it would also be amazing and also comforting to you and also and compelling for the story to be told in further detail if, in fact, he were alive and could contribute to your documentary. Absolutely. So the working title for this film project is Compassion on the Battlefield in World War II. And is there a brief way to describe a little bit of the process that goes into coming up with a title for a documentary? What did you need to do to say this sort of fits so that it, it finds a compelling tone for people that are looking for documentaries to watch and land on? Well, it is a working title, like you said, Greg. So the title was very easy for me to come up with. I just wanted something very simple that said what the film was about. But we are in the process of developing a final title for the film. And what we're going to do is when the rough cut is available in the next month or two is I have a team of advisors and people who are helping out with the project. And we're going to have a brainstorming session to come up with a name that we'll like. In light of the pandemic, People have lost loved ones. They have been sick themselves. Their jobs have been upended. They have been asking, where do I want to live? And what career do I want to have? What is my worth in the marketplace? Where I'm heading with this is I think there's a segment of the public that is becoming more introspective. Your film, I think, is one of those topics that is, if you will, a little outside the box. And I say that in a nice way. Because we live in a country where normally we're very gung-ho and militaristic, and some topics just seem a little too far out to latch onto. But I think with our introspection that a growing segment of our public has, it's going to allow, and I'd like your opinion on this, I think it's going to allow for your film and films and ideas such as what you are undertaking to find acceptance and exploration within the American mindset. Do you find that what we're living through right now is going to help motivate people to perhaps attach themselves to the film idea that you're hoping to present? I think that it could, Greg. I think there's been a lot of division right now, a lot of this group and that group against each other. And I do think people have spent more introspective time alone, some of them doing their inner work. And I think in the process that if a person embarks upon a journey of doing more inner work, 
they're more likely to look at how their enemies, I'll put that in quotation mark, um, can play a role in their lives and can they find a way to forgive people in their lives that they're struggling with or challenged with. And so I'm hoping that that will translate to a bigger picture of war where we normally think of war as killing each other. It's a killing field, a maiming field. But in fact, there are times in war when people will lay down their weapons and choose not to kill each other. And this is a very compelling aspect of war that hasn't been thoroughly researched. So I'm hoping that there's a connect between the two. It is a topic that I have never uh, heard or read about, and I love to read history. So this was a, a very compelling topic when you first presented it, and uh, I'm really happy that you're a part of our conversation today. Those that know you understand that you are a creative person, and you come from a background where you did creative work in corporate America, you have been involved with sculpting, you've alluded here to the fact that you um, have done some writing and that you were entertaining a book idea, and I'm wondering, uh, in light of the fact you also come from a very creative family, your father uh, was a writer of poetry, published a number of books, you have a brother that is musically oriented, where does the creative spirit come from? Where does it seems you have a creative family, and I'm wondering if they spurred your interest in things? Did they encourage you to venture out into areas that maybe were not something that was on the mind of every kid your age, but they said, "Go forward, pursue your interests." Where did your creative spirit come from? I think it does. Part of it is genetic. As you mentioned, um, my dad's family is incredibly creative. My dad is not only was he a poet, a very well-versed poet, but my dad's mother was quite a talented artist. He has a brother and sister who are both very talented artists. One of them has passed away, but extremely talented artists. So I do think there's a genetic component. Um, I was blessed that my family really encouraged me. In fact, when I was in fifth grade, I wanted to be an artist when I grew older. And even though my parents were both in professional fields, they really encouraged me to pursue that love of being an artist. And I'll never forget for one birthday when I was taken to an art store to buy an easel and paints and some supplies for my art. And it was a really exciting thing. So I remember being very supported by my family with my artistic endeavors I do believe, Greg, that everybody has creative talents, though, even if you were not raised in a family that supported it or if it, outwardly it doesn't seem like you're creative. And we all have just different ways of channeling it in our lives. Do you find yourself today in a different stage of creativity than when you were younger? I was reading recently that, for instance, Isaac Newton was 23 when he invented calculus, and Einstein was 26 when writing several of his most important papers. Now, I'm not putting you, and I don't want to get you too um, uh, nervous about putting you in the, the same sentences and, and, and question along with Newton and Einstein, but the, the bigger question I'm trying to get at is I would think that people with more experience and more life skills, if you will, would come to a different appreciation and perhaps uh, interest in creativity than doing their best work, if you will, on the front side of life. So my question, are you more creative and is it more uh, pronounced in your life now than let us say 25 years ago, 30 years ago? Yes, it's definitely more pronounced. As far as my writing goes, when I was young in high school and college, I wrote well, but I would not say that writing was a real strong suit of mine. 
I then worked in the corporate world and learned to become a really good writer and then taught myself to be a copywriter, which is basically writing marketing and advertising materials. And so my writing has evolved that in the last several years, I'm working on two memoirs and my writing is much better than it was when I was in my 20s. Absolutely. I would also say I have had a dream of being a sculptor, a sculptress, for about 30 years, and I've just started to tackle it in, oh, the last seven, eight years. It takes a lot of courage to sculpt in stone, because once you knock it away, you can't put it back on. Um, but uh, I probably would not have had the courage and the determination to be a sculptor earlier in life, even though I had that on my dream list all along. You are a fantastic conversationalist, and anyone that knows you personally knows that sitting down and having a chat with you requires having a long chat with you. I had promised, I think, sometime back when we were first talking about this interview, it'd be no more than five or seven minutes. And between my talking and your answering, we have uh, covered over 20 minutes. And so I appreciate the time you took today. And I wish you the very best in concluding this film project. And I hope that once it's done, you'll come back and converse with us some more about how the final uh, parts all came together and how marketing is going so that people can see your film. And again, I would encourage people to go to the Dodiland Facebook page so that they can find more information about you, the film, and how they can financially support this endeavor. Okay, that's a wrap. I promised you a good interview today, and I think we delivered. Thank you for joining me on Dodiland from the Madison Isthmus. And we are in the midst of this pandemic, so I ask that you get your vaccine, get your boosters, let us fight this pandemic. We will win, but we will only win over the pandemic if we work together. Thank you.